This is a Watchdog Morning Show Rewind. Here's Howard Monroe. Candy Stroud and I have known each other for a very long time. We've had some great times together with the, uh, broadcasting from the nation's capital. She helped put together an awful lot of the events that I was at there. Um, but Candy has a phenomenal history in journalism, and she was one of the original anchors, of, not anchors, but one of the original reporters for CNN. And I invited her to join us this morning. Uh, a, because I miss talking to Candy, and B, because I want to talk about CNN. Candy, good morning. So good to talk to you again. Hey, Howie. It's so good to hear your voice again. we got to do another Radio Row. We've done 55 of them. I'm, I, I, I'm ready. Now, Mr. Slider will have to, you know, carry me in my walk these days. <laughs> he'll he'll, he'll get me there, and, and we'll broadcast. We had some great... We had some great oh, times yeah. together doing those doing those radio rows. I mean, they were they were just absolutely great great events, and it was a great opportunity for for people to get heard around the country, and for those of us around the country to come and meet some of the uh, the big uh, political figures of the time. So it was it was just a, yeah, absolutely, it was a, it was a ton of fun. Do you want my Queen story? <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> one of them relates to CNN, and one of them doesn't. Uh, but the, so I'll save the one for CNN. Um, but until uh, we talk about CNN, but the, one of the ones was <clears throat> I had two of my kids, and we were touring England, and I had never driven a stick shift before. I only drove, you know, automatic. Uh, and so uh, we had to go to Oxford. We were going to Oxford from London. So I got this rental car, <clears throat> and we get out at rush hour, and I've got these two kids, probably ages, I don't know, 9 and 10, 10, 11, and we're on our way to Oxford, and we're trying to drive down the service roads of London. You know, you're sitting in the passenger seat with your steering wheel, right? Uh, our passenger side. <laughs> and, um, of course, the rearview mirror is hitting all the parked cars. And we get out on the roundabout, and there's 50 million signs saying, this way to Oxford, this way to, you know, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and we finally, after multiple <laughs> circles around the, these, these roundabouts, get on the motorway, and uh, my young son says to me, uh-oh, Mom, the police are following us. I'm like, oh, no. Um, and I look <laughs> in my ears in there, and sure enough, there's this, this police car with its lights flashing, and he sort of pulls up alongside but keeps going, and he kind of gives us this wave, like, you know, move over, move over. And I was like, oh, shoot, he didn't, he didn't stop us. He just was, I don't know what he was telling us. Well, what he was telling us was, the Queen was coming behind me on her oh. way to Oxford. So so I said to the kids, because I was so scared driving this car that I had never driven this, you know, this, on the right right side of this car. Um, and I said, so let's just get in, in the motorcade. And they were like, no, if you get in the motorcade, we're going to say every swear word in the book. So I, I, I'm like, never mind, never mind. They hid down on the floorboards. And all of a sudden, Prince Philip's car goes by, and he waves at me. I waved at him. I pulled him right behind him. <laughs> I'm in front of the queen. So we, we, we drive into Oxford, and you know the famous hand wave, you know, elbow, elbow, wrist, wrist. <laughs> I yeah, just did yeah, that to yeah, all, yeah. all the people parked, all the people lined up to see the queen in Oxford. <laughs> They're waving at me, too. And I said to the kids, this is the, this is the way to go to Oxford, kids. So we, we, I arrived at Oxford with the Queen. That's my, that's my first story. <laughs> um, and, and half those people probably wondered, who is this lady waving at us? But well, we better wave back. 
absolutely, absolutely. It was a great, it was a great trip. And, uh, and so I, I thank the Queen mightily for getting me to Oxford uh, in one piece. Um, and so then the second one was I was asked to be uh, with CNN, and <clears throat> I was assigned by George Watson, who came over from ABC as a bureau chief, uh, to cover Capitol Hill, which is fine because I had covered the Hill, covered the White House, um, and, and I knew that beat. And then suddenly at the last minute he said, hey, we really want you to cover state. And I said, George, I, I, I have never covered state. I don't know foreign policy. I have domestic political stuff. That's me. You know, don't put me on state. He said, well, we have to. We have a problem with a guy, I, blah, 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 whatever. I don't know what the issue was, but they, they moved me to state. So I thought, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, so George, it was funny because I lived on O Street in Georgetown, and next door, my next door neighbor was George Watson, the guy who asked me to be with CNN. <clears throat> and then a couple of doors down was Peter Jennings from the anchor for ABC. So I'm out walking the dog. I knock on Peter Jennings' door. I said, Peter, I need your help. I've been assigned to cover state. What do I do? And he said, um, <laughs> I know nothing about it. I, I know nothing about it. He said, I've got a fabulous source that I've used for years in London. His name is John Brown. And he's next in line to be prime minister after Margaret Thatcher. So he said, get on a plane oh, immediately. That's yeah, get on a plane immediately and go over. He's a member of parliament from Winchester. But get on a plane immediately and go over and, and sit down and talk to him and line him up. So I hop on a plane, <clears throat> go, go to London. With, I took my daughter as cover. She was about, I don't know, 10, 11 at the time. And... Um, so we, we, we go and we, we, we knock on John Brown's door, and John Brown opens the door, and I, I, I literally lost my breath. I've never seen a better-looking man in my life. <laughs> I almost fainted. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I'm glad I took Brooke. Um, anyway, so he, we were sitting in his living room, and um, so we talked. I told him, he said, oh, I'd be happy to help call any time, which I did probably every day for the next several years. And uh, so he's waiting there. You know, Parliament is opening, and I, I'd be delighted if you'd be my guest for the opening of Parliament for the Queen. So I said, oh, oh sure, yeah, we, yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, <laughs> so we, we, he says, show up at whatever time. And so we're walking down, down towards, uh, I guess, the door to get into the Parliament, but, you know, and um, we're on the street, and along comes the Queen in her golden carriage. I swear to God, it was like right out of Cinderella. It was gold, and it had these, you know, glass windows, I'm sure, you know, bulletproof all the way around, like circumference. Uh, and so you could see her plainly. And um, and so we, you know, we waved to the queen, and um, again, this time, at least she was driving and I wasn't. And um, I get, we go to Parliament, and we got to see her, you know, there walking in, sitting in the, you know, the front seat with her little handbag. And, and, um, and so that was my second queen story. And from there on in, John Brown was my wonderful uh, help. Anytime I, there was a foreign policy problem I didn't understand, I would call him and he would call me back and he would explain it and then I could write my story. You didn't, when you went into Parliament, uh, you didn't like to say uh, to the Queen, Your Majesty, I just wanted to thank you for leading me into Cambridge that one time. <laughs> or where, wherever you were. <laughs> Oxford. We didn't quite get that close. <laughs> 
you know, a different way. It was kind of it. Candy, but anyway, what uh, was it like? I mean, go ahead. No, it was, um, CNN in the beginning was hilarious. Um, it was like, uh, you know, it was chaos. Um, we had no furniture. We had this uh, bureau up on uh, Wisconsin Avenue. And um, I remember the first couple of meetings I went to there, we, we sat on boxes in what in the middle of what was become the newsroom. Swear to God. And uh, it got better. I mean, we got desks and, and stuff like that. But uh, um, I, um, it was like this, Howie. Um, the, it was sort of like if, if, if somebody um, was off the anchor desk, like if Bernie was in the men's room or something, they would literally call into the middle of the somebody. Hey, can somebody be anchor? Can somebody come up to the anchor desk and and, and anchor? It was like that. Or or they would yell. They would yell uh, from the control room. Who can run camera? I mean, I, I mean, you've never seen anything like it. It was just honest to God. And so one day, uh, Katie Kirk was a desk assistant. And so Katie was like, I'll be anchor, I'll be anchor. <laughs> Katie jumps up on the anchor desk, and Reese Schoenfeld, who was the president and founder with Ted Turner, CNN, and who became became literally my best friend, um, said, get that woman off the anchor desk. I never want to see her on camera again. <laughs> um, big mistake. I told Reese many What did he call later. that wrong? I said, hey, Reese, you're just saying that. And he goes, oh, I guess so. Um, that was a that was a bad call, but um, <laughs> but uh, so um, yeah, it, it was it was like that. We didn't have computers. Um, for, fortunately for me, I was at the Department of State. Um, but it went like this. Um, uh, Don't worry, Candy said George Watson. I had a new baby at the time, brand new baby, and I said, listen, George, I'm I'm nursing this baby and. Uh, what what are the hours at state? He's, oh, it's going to be a piece of cake. <clears throat> you show up at twelve o'clock for the briefing, and uh, and then you, you you cover the briefing. You roll that tape into your evening package. What the briefer said on whether you know Egypt is buying F-16s, whatever the subject of the day was, and you roll that into your piece for the evening. And you're done by five o'clock, and you're out of there. Okay, great. So um, that's not that's a, that's easy. So I go to the beach. We had just bought a place down in Rehoboth uh, Beach, Delaware, strangely enough, from Joe Biden's father, who's in real estate. And we're sitting there enjoying the, the beach weekend with our kids, and I get this call from Sissy Baker, the assignment editor at CNN, who happened to be Howard Baker's daughter, and oh. um, Senator Howard Baker. So she says, hey – we need you at state tomorrow morning at 4.30. I mean, we're now, you have to understand, almost four hours from Washington. I said, 4.30, 4.30, what time, in the morning? She said, yeah, in the morning, because um, we've got a problem. There's a hostage crisis taking place. I'm like, oh, my God. So we drive back to Washington. <laughs> I get to the state, so it's me and the janitor, right? And... Um, Funny, funnily enough, you know who used to bring me coffee in the morning? Because I had to be there at 4.30 every morning. Um, the person who brought my coffee was Diane Sawyer. Uh, oh, she's, she's really, really, really uh, just authentic, genuine, lovely person. <clears throat> and she used to always feel so sorry for me because she'd come in at 8. I'd been there since 4.30. <clears throat> so, um, so they said, okay, so you're going to do your first live report at 6 a.m. 
Why? I've never gone live before. I was a feature editor, feature reporter for for NBC, WRC in Washington, and you know it took me a week to do a piece and sit in the editing booth and pick the best pictures and stuff. So I had to go live, um, and so yeah, I managed my way through the first live report, and then they said, um, "So Reese wants you to go live every hour." Oh. Every hour. So I had to come up with a new. Um, a new report and go live every hour. And this went on for years. Um, and so, um, and it was, that's, that's the way it went. It was really, really, I don't know how we, we, we made it um, at, at CNN in those days because basically, I mean, those of us who, who came on board, we did it for love for George Watson, who was the bureau chief. He, he was just a fabulous person. And Bernie, and we, we built this little team, but it, it was like we had two missions. One was to survive, <laughs> and the other mission was to succeed. And, you know, to do that, we Was there a sense, uh, Candy, was there a sense in the early days that this was going to be a big success? I mean, was there any sense or, or recognition that someday this would be an international uh, network yeah. that everybody across the world would talk to? would turn to and would pay attention to? Or were you just too busy struggling to just get today's story done? It was like stumbling through the dark, Callie, you know? It was like being in the middle of a storm and, you know, flying through a storm. And there's a lot of turbulence, and you don't know <coughs> whether or not you're going to fly out of the storm or crash. <laughs> it was kind of like that. Um, but I think what we had was we had an immensely talented team in spite of the fact there were not a lot of us who, there was me, Bernie and me, um, I mean, Bernie, myself, and um, Daniel Shore were the only three I can think of that had network experience. I had done work for CBS and ABC, and then I had worked for WTOP and WRC. So I had television experience. A lot of people who came on board were kind of like really kids, and um, and so... We were very, very lucky. Oh, the other funny thing <laughs> the other funny thing that happened was, I don't know if you remember, but I was the reporter who wrote the story about Ed Muskie's wife for Newsweek. Oh, and yes, right. it ma made him cry in the snow. Remember that? He stood <laughs> on the back of the flatbed truck. I was in Florida covering Trump's presidential candidate. I got a call from the Washington Post saying, how do you feel about Ed Muskie crying in the snow over your article? I'm like, what? <clears throat> yes, you know, you said that, you know, I said things about Jane Muskie that made him cry, like if she was, I can't remember what I wrote, but uh, she, she she called him sugar daddy and said, let's tell dirty jokes and stuff. Anyway, so <clears throat> I, I, when I started at, that became a cause to left, you know, I mean, that went all over the world, right, that article? Mm -hmm. it, it made him drop out of the race. And um, and so I now am State Department correspondent, chief diplomatic correspondent, first woman ever for a network. And uh, guess who's made Secretary of State? Oops. <laughs> Oops. So I had to make a call to him. And I said, Senator, um, we have a problem. I've been assigned to state, and you are Secretary of State. Um, can we have a you know, a detente or something. He said, Candy, I'll give you the first exclusive interview. 
I mean, what a gentleman, what a noble guy. So he came into a This from a guy that you made cry. You made him right. cry, Candy, and still gave you an exclusive. He did. He, that, was a, that was a majestic gesture on the part of a really lovely human being who um, said, let's let bygones be bygones. We have to work together for, you know, the good of the country. So um, that was that. Candy, that, that was Candy talk to me about Bernard Shaw. Um, he passed away last week. He always seemed to me yeah. to be about the quintessential newsman, or anchor man. I mean, he, he always seemed to, A, know what he was talking about, facts at his head, also seemed to be about as impartial as you could get. Am I, is that a good read or not? 100%. Um, he, he was, first of all, he was one of the, he was butter smooth. He had the voice of, you know, black velvet. And, um, but he, and he was as nice to me as he was to everyone. <clears throat> Um, and he, I think, what, you know, in the days when they called his chicken noodle news, um, he brought this credibility because he had come from ABC and CBS, and he sort of helped us lose that moniker. But he was gracious. He was funny. He was kind. Um, he was a stickler for accuracy, for grammar, and reporting facts. That's what he cared about the most. And uh, he, he, I'm trying to think there was a story where, for example, at the time of the, that Ronald Reagan was shot, uh, the attempted assassination in front of the Washington Hilton, uh, Sandy Kenyon, my producer, was, was also Bernie's producer. And everybody was reporting that, um, what was his name, uh, Brady, Jim Brady, uh, had been shot and killed as well. Yeah. Or had, had he been shot and killed. And so the, all the networks were reporting that, and Sandy kept saying to Bernie, Bernie, you got to talk about Bert, Jim Brady. I mean, he, 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 he was shot, and they said he's dead, and he wouldn't do it. And so Sandy said to him at one point uh, after that, why, if all, everybody else was reporting that Jim Brady had been shot and killed, why didn't you do it? And he said, because he wasn't at the hotel. And so um, he... He, he was very, very judicious about making sure that what he reported was absolutely true. And so, he, he, you know, he was the only one who got that story right. And uh, he held off on it until all the facts had come in. Candy, CNN is very different today than it was in the early days when you were there. And actually, it's undergoing some more changes now. It has. It uh, has uh, how, do you, how do you assess the current state of CNN? Um. Well, I, obviously they've done a, um, a serious pivot to, to the middle, right? Um, mm -hmm. There have been, I think, you know, you've seen these. I think what Licks is doing, Licks is sort of, um, Chris Licks, is, is, is letting go of the uh, serious opinion makers, you know, like um, I think it was Harwood who, who said something like, <coughs> John Harwood, who said the Republican Party who is now led by I think the words he used were dishonest demagogues. Um, and that's, you know, that's who the Republicans are rallying behind. And he, he mentioned lies about the 2020 election, etc. And the next day he was gone. Uh, that yeah. He was gone. And then the other one was, um, uh, what was his name? Uh, uh, you know who I mean. Uh, I can't think of his name right now. But he was he, he, another <clears throat> serious opinion maker. 
not popping into my head, but oh, I do know who you mean. I can, now I can't think. Of, uh, but we know what you're talking about. So, yeah, is it a wise move? Huh? Is it a wise move, move moving towards the middle? Well, um, here's the, the here's the deal. Um, there are you know tens of millions of people who still support Trump out there. I mean, like some people, <clears throat> there's something like 81 million that voted for him or something in 2020. There are a lot of people mm-hmm. who, who who do honestly believe that it was an unfair election. <clears throat> and those people, I mean, you've seen the, the, the track record Trump has had in getting his uh, can, pro-Trump candidates elected in the primaries. So right. CNN cannot survive without a piece of that audience. They have to have that audience. So let's, say, let's just say that the Republicans uh, take over the House, and then you're going to be – do you think they're going to – allow their uh, top speakers to come on CNN that's been so brutal to the Republican brand? No. So if they don't pivot towards the middle and the Republicans take over the House and the Senate or whatever, um, they're going to be out in the cold. So they, they kind of have to do that. Also, some of their big board members, like this guy named John Malone, he's a billionaire. <clears throat> that's, he's by the way, Malone scares me. Uh, Malone scares me. Absolutely. But he has said to uh, Lick, you know, you you got to move to the center, or you're going to be, you know, you're going to be out to out to lunch. So I think that's what they're doing, um, and I think that Chris Lick has a problem because what I call CNN today is the calamity news network. Um, <laughs> why is that? <laughs> I call it the calamity news network because what they do best is cover calamities. <clears throat> so you're in an airport yeah. and there's been a mass shooting or in a hotel room there's been a mass shooting you're glued to CNN well what if there's no news uh, and what if there's no news and you're out to lunch because you've been criticizing all of the Trump people um, so, you, so CNN would just go kind of go belly up I think so I think you, they've got to they've got to um I, uh, pivot to the political censor and take a chance, um, but it's a big gamble. It's a big gamble. Yeah, I'm not sure it's a wise move, but I, what do I know? I'm just a little guy here doing my radio show. Uh, I, I do. I think you're right. Calamity News Network is a good point because when there is a, you know, when there's a hurricane, when there's a, a flood, when there is a, a disaster, when there's a huge story that's like a, I don't know, like a physical story. That's where I turn to to get the breaking news, but yeah, it's not absolutely. where I turn to turn to to get political perspective anymore. So, Candy, uh, yeah, it's really good talking to you. I wish we had, I wish we had more time, but I got I got to wrap it up here. Bob, did you have a question? I did, uh, Candy. I've been a big uh, Ted Turner fan since the first time I uh, watched him uh, drunk on an Atlanta Braves broadcast. Do, do you have a Ted Turner story you'd like to share with us? Diplomacy and terrorism, and we were going to show it to the CNN board and you know other members of the press, and we did it at my house. And I can remember Ted Turner's guy calling me. We had like the I don't know the Saudi ambassador and a couple of the Middle Eastern ambassadors coming, 
And so he, he asked me to give him a list with the pronunciation of all the names. He said, otherwise Ted's going to abadabba do them. But Ted, Ted turned up at the house. He was gracious. What a doll. I mean, I like him very, very much. Um, and, I, you know, he was very, very impressed with him. But I think the, the final point I wanted to make is that people, view, um, people who, viewers are sick of the polarization. They're sick of having the Republican chairman criticizing the Democratic chairman sitting on the same set. They're sick of the round tables with 15 different opinions. They, they want to go back to the way um, CNN originally was, with the, just the news, please, just the news. And um, that, that's the problem that Chris Lips has. So God bless him, good luck, and I hope that CNN survives. And I would, I would just, just question the one phrase you just used there. There are 15 different people saying the same opinions over and over again. That's the part of the problem. We never hear a new or different perspective. It's just this hour's panel says certain things, left and right, and next hour's panel says the same things, left and right. I mean, we don't really get – it's not like we're getting a huge amount of new knowledge or information or perspective. It's, bo- it's, it's just – It's boring. It's boring. And so people are channel surfing, and they're also <clears> – and they're, and they're, because they're getting such a, you know, 5,000 opinions on CNN at one time coming at them, a lot of them are going to Fox. Fox, you, you, you kind of get a sense of, I mean, it may be more one-sided, but uh, kind of they kind of stick to the script. <laughs> well, so, for better or ill, Fox, Fox is a good television network. Now, I'm not saying they're good, good news. They're a good television network. They know what they're doing. Well, it's the number I one can't e- Yeah, abs- the and there's a reason for that. And it's not just because they appeal to conservatives. It's because they, they do a good job of what they do. I don't like what they do, but they do a good job right. of what they do. Exactly. Exactly. Listen, thank you for joining me this morning. We need to keep in touch more often. And remember, if you're ready for Radio Row, Bob and I are ready to come. Um, uh, listen, I've been pushing it at Kino uh, for, I've been working for the last several months because <clears throat> they do a big event in February. But they're like, nah, it's hard. It's hard, it's hard to get people to, it costs a lot of money to put one of those things on. So yeah. don't worry. I'm, I'm, know that I'm working on it. All right. Hey, great talking to you. We'll do it again. Thanks very much, Thanks, Candy. Howard. I appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Candy. Thank you. Candy Stroud, uh, old friend of mine. Uh, we, we had a lot of time together in the nation's capital. Um, I addressed the Democratic National Committee at one point, and she was the one who got me to be a guest speaker to some of their groups to talk about talk radio. So she uh, she's a, just a great gal and, uh, and one of only two people in the world who call me Howard. I always get a kick out of that. (laughs) Listen to more interviews and rants from the Watchdog Morning Show with Howard Monroe on Apple Podcasts.